Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture, BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Hello and welcome back to the Food Therapy Podcast. Today we are joined by Charday Rael and she is a Brazilian American author, wellness entrepreneur and behavior change specialist, empowering women globally with body confidence and well-being beyond the scale, our fave. She is the host of the Feel Good Naked Podcast for women and the founder of Corpal Fitness, a Brazilian-inspired wellness brand. So we are so excited to chat with you today. Welcome, Charday. Well, uh, thank you. I was about to say welcome, but thank you. <laughs> it's the, it's thank the you. inner podcast host. Yes. You. It seriously is. Sorry about that. <laughs> yes. No, so Charday, tell us about your story. You know, walk us through what some of the kind of the key things that have happened in your life and how you got into the space that you are today. Yeah, I guess the biggest way to start with it is, I'm not sure if you'll use a video on the podcast or not, but essentially I am Brazilian American and I look different, right? I don't look like everyone in the Midwest, but that was where I grew up. So I had this really strange childhood and adolescence where I was in the middle of a country that was mine. You know, my mom is American and I didn't look like anybody. And this is also, I'm an older millennial. So it wasn't as common to have, you know, mixed race or mixed heritage relationships, especially not out in the boonies where we lived. (laughs) So I grew up with this very, I guess, low self-esteem about the way I looked, but I never realized that it was because of my appearance. It was more like, why can't I be thinner? Or why can't I have my hair straighter? And I never really attached it to any cultural significance until I left the country for the first time when I was 20. And that was when I began to see that a lot of the issues I had around my body shape, around just the value I felt, you know, people even being attracted to me was so based in this idea of me being different that I didn't even realize because my whole family also, like you see my mom, that's the side I grew up with, blonde, blue eyed. It was just, yeah, it was just a very unusual experience to do. And I imagine, especially when you are younger, all you want to do is fit in. And so feeling like that other in you know elementary school or middle school or high school, whenever it was, I can imagine that was really challenging. Yeah, that was, I think too, because the thing is, is like when you're a young kid and you're in that type of environment, people don't know how to categorize you. And for them, there was, you know, essentially two races, white and black, and that was it. And when you're not in either of them, it's very confusing to people about how, Do we relate to you? How do we accept you if you don't grow up in a place like, you know, New York or L.A.? So that I would say was kind of the start of my body image issues, even though I didn't realize that at the time. It took, you know, years later, as we always find. 
And mm-hmm. did your parents and your family members, did they bring up, you know, your culture and your race? Like, were you able to have some context around that? Because obviously you can see yourself and you look physically different from others, but was that ever brought up? Not directly. No. I mean, it's such a strange situation because I grew up with my mom's side and not with my dad's side. So I didn't have contact with the Brazilian side at all, which meant that I don't think that my family was even aware of the difference, if that makes sense. Like for them, I was just me and they didn't see and they didn't understand. And even something small that I talk to my mom about now that she understands is I have really curly hair and that wasn't a thing in our family. So she didn't know how to take care of it. And her solution was to just brush it. And, you know, obviously it gets big then. So it's small things like that, that they don't, they didn't understand how to communicate that you are different. And so you have to do things a little differently or you should not necessarily expect a different response, but don't be surprised if you get it. So how did you get to where you are now with your podcast, your Corpow Fitness? How did all of this come to life? Yeah. So it started probably the first time I went out of the country properly. I was 20 and I was studying abroad in Argentina. And that kind of was where body image issues went sky high because especially then, you know, it's one of the cities in Buenos Aires with the highest rates of anorexia is really extreme there. And now it's a little bit better, but we're talking, you know, 15 years ago. And that was when things really got bad because I stood out even more than I did in the States. And I just remember thinking it was a weird revelation that just came to me. I was on a bus just going through the city in Buenos Aires that I need to go to Brazil. Like I need to go to Brazil. Something was calling me to do it. I've experienced all my life, especially in Argentina that borders it, that there's something here. And I made the decision to extend my university by one year studying so that I could do that. And I went and it was, I didn't even know how to describe to you what it was like. It was like to see people who look like you finally. (laughs) And you just realize that it's okay. And not only is it okay, but it's also celebrated. That was the beginning of the journey where I started to create my Brazilian inspired fitness brand that was about more than just losing weight. And then from there, it evolved into me learning more about health so that I could help people understand it from a more balanced perspective, not just let's change the way you look. And it's continued on into the podcast now where the message is literally like, this is not about weight. This is everything but weight in this podcast. So it's so interesting because a lot of the things that we teach in terms of body image are what are the things that make you feel your most confident? What are the values that you have that, you know, and how can you live more in alignment with those values? And it seems like when you found your people, you were able to find the acceptance within yourself to, to realize, okay, it's not about the scale anymore. Is there, is that kind of, is that accurate in terms of like what you experienced? I think a lot of it is, it was also seeing, you don't understand that behavior is disordered until you see the opposite of it, right? Like you don't realize when you're in it that this is not necessarily the way that everybody is. And Mm -hmm. I think that was the big difference was going to a culture where 
women were younger and eating what they wanted. I'm not saying diet culture doesn't exist there. It does, especially now. But there was a lot more openness around food as an experience, not just to be measured. There was a lot more acceptance around doesn't matter your body size, you wear that bikini to the beach and no one judges you for it. And so that was when I guess it was the comparison of seeing these behaviors and realizing why do we act like this? You know, why can't we wear bikinis no matter what the size in the States? Like, why isn't food something you celebrate? And that was when I started to question, I think. That's such an interesting point. And it's true because, you know, diet culture is everywhere. And disordered eating in so many ways has become normalized across many different cultures. And being able to see people have healthy and normal relationships with food can so aid in that healing. And yeah, I I think that's really cool and so fascinating to have you literally get up and, and go somewhere else and having that experience. Yeah. And I remember there was one moment that always sticks out is I was living with a host mom and she was this conservative lady in her 50s and she took me to get a bikini and I was still in this mindset of I have to cover up as much as I can, which isn't really an option when you shop in Brazil. But we were going and we went to the store and I found the biggest bikini that I could to cover up because I didn't feel comfortable and she looked at me and she said why are you going to wear that you know you have a beautiful body why are you going to get this you get this one and it was a thong which I didn't get in the end but But at least you know I saw that like let's let's open up our minds a little bit yes yes so uh, moving um a little bit and this you know it still goes along with what we're saying but how would you say that diet culture disempowers women and specifically women of color for women specifically first it's very much and i don't think we even realize it i know that you guys talk about this but it's so subtle that when you start to attach the way you look to self-esteem and it's very much the case with women and has been then you begin to erode their confidence. And for example, you know, the the example I always think about is if you're in a meeting and you're presenting and you have to think about, is my hair right? Is my belly showing over my skirt? Are my legs this way? Am I coming across to, you know, this way or that? Should I have been showing my arms? If you're focusing on that, how can you possibly deliver the most powerful message to people around you? You can't because you are obsessed with the way that you look and you don't realize that that's so normalized, you know, in our culture. Yes. There, and there was a saying, you know, I, I did not come up with this, but I heard someone say that diet culture is intended to keep women very small. And that is both physically, but also in terms of like emotions and mentally and just our position in society. And that really struck a chord because if we're so consumed by our bodies and how we look, we can't be going out there and, um, you know, getting these incredible jobs and, and having a role in change and social change. And that's intentional. It is intentional to keep us so small. Yeah. And how many times do you see, you know, what is this politician wearing? Look at this politician style when it's a woman, when it's a man, nobody cares. 
nobody yeah, Michelle cares. Obama's arms, like the amount yeah. of media around that, but nobody spoke about the incredible things she did. Like in the White House, it was all about like how toned her arms are. Yeah. What about Obama's six pack, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With your podcast and feeling good naked, like tell us a little bit more about that. Where did, how did that all, like, obviously it all ties into each other in terms of body image, but um, tell us a little bit more about that and then how to feel good naked without having to change your body. So I have been a PT and a nutritionist for nine years. And as you guys know, from a nutrition side, a lot of what you're taught is diet culture and you're essentially taught it to educate it to others. And there's no sense that this is not right. I mean, it is evolving a bit, but that's essentially the case. So when I started out, I was doing that. You know, how do you lose weight? How do you do this? How do you get this body shape? How do you firm up? And it never resonated with me because I'd already gone through this journey that I shared with you about how I had accepted my body differently. I didn't look at the scale anymore. And so I felt this huge pull, this almost tension of this is what I'm supposed to be teaching and this is how I feel. And it became more and more pronounced as the years went by until I decided that this is not the approach I'm going to teach. I'm not going to use the words around this. I'm going to tell people I'll help you get strong. I'll help you find balance with food, but I'm not going to talk about losing weight. I'm not going to talk about getting a toned tummy. Like These are not words I want to use. And I continued to do that in my coaching, but during the pandemic, all the language that was coming up was, oh my gosh, the pandemic 15, gaining this weight, gaining that weight. Oh, once the pandemic ends, I have to lose this weight. And it's the middle of this medical crisis and people are talking about this. And I just wanted to deliver a different message about health at that time that wasn't about weight. And that was when I launched the podcast because essentially like everything now that we hear is how can you look good? How can you look sexy? How can you look good naked? But when you dive a little bit deeper, it's not about that. It's about how do you feel? If you feel good naked, you don't care how much you weigh. If you feel good naked, you will wear any clothes. It's not about the looks at all. And so that was kind of what I wanted to capture was how can we help women to feel good naked? in all ways. And even on the podcast, we'll have people talk about, you know, financial health, because it's not just about one area of well-being. It is so many. And the scale is a tiny, tiny one that doesn't even matter really in the end. So that was kind of how it evolved from there. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's so true. People were so fixated on something that they were hoping to control, which is, you know, I can't control how the pandemic happens and what my life is like, but I can control what I eat and I can control my body size. And that's why we did see like a, a large increase in eating disorder behaviors and disordered eating behaviors during the global pandemic. What are the seven steps to feeling good naked? Because I imagine that we have listeners and they're like, in theory, this sounds great. But how can I actually apply this to my life when I feel so insecure and so uncomfortable in my here and now body? Yeah, this is the question that I think is so fundamental because you're, you're so right that it's nice to hear this and to accept this idea of, okay, I don't want to use the scale anymore. I want to find balance with food. But when it comes to practical steps, 
it's hard. And even if you're in the intuitive eating space, like finding exact recommendations and how to start, very difficult unless you're working directly with someone. So for me, when I created the seven steps and I did this book, Seven Steps to Feel Good Naked, the idea behind it was as with the podcast, that we're going to go beyond the two realms that everybody knows. Everybody knows fitness. Everybody knows nutrition. It's not to say those things don't matter. It's a different perspective around them. But there's so much more. So like your first foundational one is habits. If you're not creating habits that support your lifestyle in the way that works for you, none of this stuff sticks. None of it works. And that was the biggest step number one is to create the habits around it. And in the book, we kind of go into how do you do that? How do you decide what works for you? But the other elements then are your relationship with food. So I know that's one you guys talk about a lot is, you know, how can we start to heal some of the ideas we have around food, some of the food rules that we create around it? How can we start to do that? Because if you don't do that bit, then nothing else can follow. You know, you can't have gentle nutrition if you haven't first found a balance in the way you think about it. So that's part of it. Another part is body acceptance. And I say body confidence, but really it starts with acceptance because you can't go straight from all of this disapproval you have of yourself straight to, oh, I love my body. It's great. You know, we want to be realistic about how that evolves. So that's in there. And then mindset is a really big part as well. And this is separate from food mindset. This is the idea of how do you conceive of health? Because if you continually think about it as health for me is to look a certain way, then it, it, it's, you're never going to feel good naked. It just will not work. Because what happens when you have a kid, if you choose to, what happens when you're older? You know, there's so many things that change in our life. And if you don't have this mindset, which can go with you, which is ageless, then none of that sticks. So those are the main elements of the steps. It's how can you support the gentle nutrition, which is all about how your body feels, not how many macros or calories or anything like that. And then what is the, the deeper work you have to do emotionally? And ask me specifics too, if you want, please. I'm happy to get into them. Yeah. So I was wondering, you know, if you can provide an example of like a habit that you would speak about. Yeah. So for example, let's say that one of the biggest habits that we often start with is stress management is a huge one because the problem is like a lot of disordered eating has an origination point in stress, right? In emotional triggers, in the way that we handle a work problem, a relationship problem, all comes down to stress. So if you can find a way to manage stress, which is seems superficial, but goes a bit deeper than that, that's kind of the first habit. So one of the things, for example, is you look at in your day, when is the period of time that you have the heightened triggers? Like what times a day do you feel that adrenaline coming? Do you feel the exhaustion? Do you feel emotionally wiped out? For most people, it's 9, 10 a.m. before they start work. And then about 3, 4 p.m. when they're you know sick of it, they're tired. And at those points in time, scheduling in five minutes without fail on your phone, to step away, to step away, to look away, to do something different. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny habit. But if you get used to this, you learn how to manage stress in different ways than, for example, going to food. So it's small things like that that build up. 
Yes. And, you know, this, this is such important work. And oftentimes, you know, depending on what, what the client is coming in, as far as a skill set, even bringing on a therapist, if, you know, obviously that's a privilege in itself, but having that collaborative type care is so important because it's true. Like it's one thing to be able to identify those triggers and the emotions that are coming up, but how are we able to respond and ensure that we are managing stress well? Something that is so interesting that comes up is I have clients who come in and they say, you know, what foods are anti-inflammatory? I'm very concerned about inflammation. And again, this is driven by diet culture and, you know, this idea that we are in full control of our health and we're not, you know, health is, and this is something I think that I've, I've really been learning more about in the last year or two, but First of all, like we don't owe anyone our health and you can do all the things. And that doesn't mean that there won't be a disability down the road or there won't be chronic disease down the road. But something that has resonated a lot with clients is that if we spend so much time thinking about food, worrying about how much sugar we're eating, worrying about what foods we should cut out, that also adds stress on the body. And so it almost acts as this you know, the opposite of what we're trying to accomplish by removing all the inflammation in the body, by removing all these trigger foods. Well, we're actually creating a whole other subset of stress and probably increasing the cortisol in the body. So I always find that to be really interesting and it definitely resonates a lot. And I think hearing these type of conversations is so helpful for people because it's different than maybe the conversation they're having in the doctor's office or the conversation they're having with friends at lunch. Yeah, I think you've said it perfectly that in all of this, right? You know, I wrote a book that has the help here, but it's not a playbook. It's not like you just go and plug it in and do it. It's very important to do the therapy work if you are privileged enough to afford it, right? Because we want to acknowledge that not everybody is. But if you can, then yes, like that being, but being able to go, I think, to a therapist and be able to say, I think that this might be one of the issues I experienced or being able to verbalize the way you feel because you've listened to, for example, your podcast is so powerful because sometimes people don't have the words to describe what's going on. And so in many ways, it's not about let me listen to get the answers. Let me read to get the answers. It's let me read or listen so that I can understand better how I can communicate this and work on it over, to be honest, years. Yeah. yeah. I love that. It's so true. I get people all the time being like, I didn't even realize that this is what I was experiencing. And especially because it's so normalized in our culture, but when you want to have conversations about it, it's, it's really challenging to find the confidence because you're just like, I don't even know how to talk about it. Cause I've never been taught to, you know, it's same thing with like relationships, you know, or confrontation in general, you're just not really taught how to have these conversations, whether it's with someone else or with yourself. But I love what you said about stress too, because all of this is just all encompassing and technically it's like holistic health. I mean, obviously I feel like that, that sector of quote unquote health has kind of can get a little diet culture within itself, but I mean, holistic health in the sense of like legitimately whole body, right? Mod body, mind, all the things. And the amount, like 
the amount of problems I cause in my life when I am more stressed, it is just insane. Like it's crazy how much more little things bother you. Like something someone said, like, it's just, it causes so many more issues. And even in the way that you feel about your body, right? Like when I'm really stressed out, I'm just like, nothing, nothing's good. Like it, it, it's just everything kind of erupts. So I think the stress management component of this is something that's often kind of forgotten about. Um, or at least in the way that I teach it, it's, it's mostly in like managing stress around food, but it's managing stress in your life too. Yeah, I would say that that is, you've said it perfectly that it is stress of your life because, okay, fine, you know, these five minute breaks are not going to solve that stress for you. But what it's doing is changing your response to the stimulus, right? Your response is, okay, I'm going to stop and pause and take myself away from this and I'm going to reflect versus let me just go and whatever, grab this, do this, or you know, go off on someone like I'm changing my response because it's very difficult to change the way you feel or the way you experience something, but you can slowly change the response to it. And as a behavior change specialist, that's the biggest thing. Like we know the root causes are going to take a really long time, but you can stop and say, okay, normally I would respond this way, but instead I'm going to go down this path. And that can solve a lot of problems over time. Also like that it is five minutes because it is so much more attainable. If you were to say pause for, you know, 30 minutes in the middle of a work day, someone might look at you and say like, that's wild. I have 30 minutes of like to eat and to go to the bathroom and to do all these things. So giving someone a five minute pause just seems very approachable and realistic, which I really, which I think is great. Yeah. And I'm also a big fan of actually putting it in your phone as a reminder that comes up and have that be one of the few reminders that you have or notifications that you have. I'm really extreme that I don't, I keep my phone on silent the whole day, except for these reminders. And I will consciously check it because for me, a stress thing is to hear all of the dings come in. Yes, absolutely. So Tell our listeners where they can find you. Where can they get your book? Where can they listen to your podcast? Yeah, of course. So the website is the best place for everything. It's feelgoodnaked.com, naked without the E. And the book you can see there, but it's also on Amazon, Seven Steps to Feel Good Naked. And my Instagram is Sharde Royale, which I guess you'll probably link in there. Yes. Because I know that's not easy to remember. <laughs> yes, we will absolutely link that in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and having this open dialogue. I think it is just so helpful to hear different points of views. And, you know, I think it's also important to touch on the cultural aspect of body image, because that is something that I think a lot of people will likely resonate with. And it's, it's not spoken about enough. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for giving me the space to, to share about it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review, let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. 
All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at foodtherapypod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.